Welcome everyone to the Groot Podcast, episode number four of our second season. My name is Paul McWhorter, and I'm documenting my journey toward my master's degree in theological studies and talking about how Jesus, who is full of grace and truth, gives us new life when we believe in him. I have finished my latest class and waiting to start my next class here next week, which is systematic theology. I'm pretty excited for that one, especially with what I have learned and how I've grown over the past couple of months in regards to having a, a greater understanding of discipleship and what it really means to surrender to God on a daily basis. And we'll talk more about that in the future. But in this episode, I wanted to share some of the final paper that I wrote for us for my last class. It was a study on Mark 4 verses 26 through 29. And reading it at first, I recognized the parable most of us know the parable of the sower and the mustard seed. Those parables precede and follow this parable in Mark. And we remember those because they're the only ones that are repeated in Matthew and Luke. The growing seed parable in verses 26 through 29 are only found in Mark. So how much can we learn from just four simple verses that most of us have probably just skimmed past? Well, let's dive in and see. Parables are an indirect form of communication uh, that was utilized by Jesus Christ and others to deceive the hearer into the truth. That's kind of how a parable is described, deceiving the hearer into the truth, serving as a means to comprehend in human terms the spiritual nature of God and his kingdom, because God and his ways and his thoughts are, are much greater than our ways and our thoughts, and it's really impossible for us to completely comprehend everything that God is and everything that God does. And so these parables were meant to try and help us comprehend in, in human terms, the spiritual nature of God. So that's the purpose of these parables was not to convey a hidden truth, but to spur the, us into action, to spur those who heard these parables into, into action. So biblical, par biblical parables reveal the kind of God that God is and how God acts and they show what humanity is and what humanity should and may become if how in how they respond to God's truth. So Jesus told parables to prompt thinking and to stimulate response in relation to God. Whereas Matthew and Luke expounded on Jesus' sermons and parables, Mark from the beginning focused more on Jesus' actions and the amazement of the crowds who witnessed them. And this is a recurring theme of people, including the disciples, asking, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? And then Jesus demonstrating who he is. In these first three chapters, Mark showcases God, Jesus, the demons, and those healed by Jesus, all proclaiming Jesus as the Holy One, the Son of God. In chapter four, Mark chooses for the first time to record only a few of Jesus's parables, but these carefully chosen parables explain the mystery and the majesty of God. Through these parables, Jesus wanted his followers to truly hear and understand what was happening around them and how they should respond. And although Mark records fewer sermons or parables than Matthew and Luke, his inclusion and focus of the seed parables in Mark 4 lays a theological foundation in explaining how the kingdom of God works and the role we play as both sowers and soil. 
So Mark did not compose his gospel based on his own experience in the ministry of Jesus, but based on the knowledge he acquired from assisting the apostles and specifically the apostle Peter. So Mark received this oral tradition from Peter, most likely in the form of of conversations and the preaching of Peter that was directed to the needs of, of the early Christian community. And so these parables told in Mark 4 would have been parables specifically highlighted by Peter in his ministry. Parables that Peter considered vitally important for his church community to hear and to understand. And these are the parables that resonated with Peter more than the others that were documented by Matthew and Luke. The growing seed is part of this seed trilogy of parables in Mark 4 that teaches followers how the kingdom of God works in us and through us. And the seed parables have been considered as separate from each other, only related by seed and topic, but these parables are actually designed to build upon each other. Jesus builds these parables upon one another. And so Mark chapter 1 tells the beginning of Jesus' ministry, preaching, healing, casting out demons to everyone's amazement. Mark 2 shows Jesus' conflict with the religious leaders as he forgives sins and eats with sinners and fails to observe the Sabbath as deemed by their tradition. And Mark 3 also follows with Jesus' healing on the Sabbath, choosing of the twelve, and being challenged as being in league with Lucifer, and Jesus clarifying that his family are those who do God's will. So now in the sowing parable that's in chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, Jesus is actually explaining how his ministry was working at that time, spreading the good news throughout the region with some of his followers accepting his teaching, but most of them weren't. The hard soil were the Pharisees and skeptics who refused to accept God's word. And so it was snatched up by Satan. The rocky soil are the crowds who only follow Jesus for the attraction and to witness miracles. And the word couldn't take root in their lives. So when things got tough, they walked away. And the soil full of weeds were those followers like the rich young ruler who followed God's commands, but wasn't willing to give up his life his riches, and follow Jesus. The word can't grow and produce fruit in those who are consumed by sin and worries. And when the seed falls on the good soil, then it grows and it produces much fruit. And the growing seed parable then in verses 26 through 29 are a sequel to the sower parable, building upon it how the kingdom of God works through us. So when the seed, which is the word of God, does fall on the good soil, which is those of us with open hearts, it grows and matures in God's timing and in God's ways. Not because of any work done by the sower, in this case, other believers. And then lastly, the mustard seed tells us that even the tiniest of seeds can grow and produce fruit. Charles Spurgeon said, the precious seed of the word of God is small as a grain of mustard seed and may be carried by the feeblest hand where it shall multiply a hundredfold. So here in Mark chapter four, verse 26, it says, and he was saying, this is Jesus. And Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. So after explaining the first seed parable, the sower of the seeds to the disciples, Jesus is continuing on with his parables, addressing the larger crowd. 
In Mark 1.15, Jesus begins his ministry by announcing the kingdom of God is near. And now in Mark 4, Jesus is explaining to his followers what the kingdom of God really looks like. In Mark 4.3, Jesus refers to a sower himself spreading the good news and explaining the different kinds of soil or hearts that his words are falling upon. In Mark 4.26, Jesus compares his followers as a man who casts seed. So Mark's using two different words for sowing seed between these two parables. In Mark 4.3, Mark uses a Greek word that's used to describe sowing as imparting the gospel or teaching his commandments, instilling instruction, basically. And so verse 26, Mark uses a different Greek word that's translated sowing, but means to cast or throw out generously and indiscriminately. Jesus has moved from revealing his role as the farmer, giving the seed of instruction to everyone around him, knowing that some will accept it and some will not, to comparing his followers to a sower who spreads the gospel without force, scattering seed generously to the soil around him. Chapter 4, verse 27 says, And he goes to bed, this is the farmer, and he goes to bed at night and gets up daily, and the seed sprouts and grows, and how he himself does not know. The order here of he goes to bed at night and gets up daily is unusual, as the more common expression used is day and night. An exception occurs, interestingly, in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6, verse 7, and chapter 11, 19, when it says, and when you lie down and when you rise, and this is when the Lord is talking about giving instruction to or teaching children about the Lord's commandments. So the man sows the seed, he goes about his daily business, and when the harvest is ready, he reaps. Now, in ancient Jewish farming methods involved plowing the fields right after the rainy season starts, and then scattering the seed and then plowing over the seed to cover it up. What went without being said to, to Jesus' audience was all the work that the farmer had done in preparation for the sowing. Once the sowing is complete, then the farmer has to wait for the natural process of growth to occur. The farmer cannot always see or control how the plant grows, but he goes about his business trusting the natural process. Charles Spurgeon said that once the seed is sown, it is beyond human jurisdiction and is under divine care. Jesus is also illustrating a contrast between the farmer's actions or inactions with that of the seed's growth. Regardless of what the man does, night or day, the seed grows. And even though the farmer doesn't know how it happens, would it matter if he did anyway? Because whether the farmer knows and he doesn't know, and whether he does or does anything, the seed grows because it's in good soil. In chapter 4, verse 28, it says, The soil produces crop by itself. First the stalk, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. Now, we know from the parable of the sower that not just any soil will allow growth for fruit-bearing plants, but soil that has been prepared ahead of time to receive the seed. So once the soil is ready and the seed has been planted, then the natural process of growth happens automatically by itself. Plants have several stages of growth, and Jesus here is highlighting three of these stages. First, the stalk appears, and this is a critical step. Because after the crop buds from the ground, it's in this growth step 
where the plant does the majority of its growing, producing and strengthening its stems and its leaves, its branches, and developing its root system. And then secondly, the head appears. It's during this stage that the plant begins producing its own seeds, relying on natural pollinators to spread, or the plant itself is self-pollinating and reproducing on its own. Cross-pollination makes for stronger crops, meaning a self-pollinating crop like wheat can produce exponentially more than what was originally planted. And then lastly, the plant is ready for harvest when the crop is mature and the growth cycle comes to an end. Through God's own process and design, the spirit grows within us and establishing its roots in our hearts and our soul. And then the spirit produces fruit within us and spreading and pollinating the gospel to the soil around us. And finally, we mature through Christ, yielding our fruit and ready for harvest. So then in chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Now, when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. When the crop permits, or once the fruit is ripe, he immediately puts, or he swings the sickle. But this translation from a Greek word used throughout the New Testament refers to someone being sent out. Nearly half of these occurrences are used to describe God sending Jesus or Jesus sending someone on a mission. So outside of Mark 4.29, the Greek word translated here as the sickle is only seen once again in Revelations 14, describing the harvest of the earth at the end times. So when we have reached the time of harvest, when we are ripe, as the scriptures say, when the crop permits, he immediately puts the sickle into place. So when we have reached the time of harvest and our work is done, Jesus is sent to swing the sickle and gather his harvest from the earth. For the term, because the harvest, Mark uses a Greek word, which is used uh, throughout the gospels. And again, in Revelations 14 to describe the time of judgment. Interestingly, Mark uses a Greek word here that's translated as has come, right? So the verse says, because the harvest has come. So because the harvest, what he's talking about is that time of judgment. It's used, that Greek word's used throughout the Gospels and Revelations for a time of judgment. And then that time of judgment has come. However, nearly every other occurrence of, of this Greek word that translates as has come, when that use, word is used elsewhere in the Greek or used elsewhere in the New Testament, it's translated as to stand by or to be presented before. So let's put all this together. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like us sowing seeds to the good soil around us. And by no control of our own, God works in and through people. We are not the plant. We are the good soil prepared to receive the good news of Jesus. And then through the spirit, the word of God grows in us, strengthening its roots in our hearts, spreading the gospel through our words and actions. And when our time comes, not only does Jesus swing the sickle and gather his people, but he gathers them as a presentation before God the Father. While it was man who scattered the seed, it was God who causes it inevitably to grow until it became ripened fruit so that man can rejoice in the yield of his labor through the wondrous activity of God. So how do we apply all of this to our lives today? Preparing the soil and spreading God's word to those around us 
is the ultimate commandment given to us by God. Even though we can't always see how God is working in people's lives, God is always reaching out and maturing and harvesting the fruit of his people. We help God plow the ground around us by pouring out his loving kindness to others, loving others more than ourselves, serving others and meeting their needs. We sow seeds, the word of God, telling others about Jesus and the source of our love and our hope and our peace. Spurgeon said, any man who has received the knowledge of the grace of God in his heart can teach others, and that those with the smallest range of opportunities can nevertheless do something for Christ and his cause. The work continues on as we are cultivating and plowing the soil around us by showing love and serving others through God's Holy Spirit. I always assumed in this passage and in others that we are the plant that grows that is harvested, and several commentaries project that same thought. But what I notice is Jesus describes us as the soil in both the sowing parable and in this growing seed parable. He describes us as the soil, the hard soil, the rocky soil, the good soil, the hard hearts, the good hearts, the open hearts. And the seed is the word of God. The soil or our hearts are either hard or shallow, consumed by worry, or it's ready and cultivated. So the plant that grows in our hearts is the word of God growing in us and through us the soil. The root of God's word deepens within us and grows. The more time we spend with God in his word and surrendering to his spirit, the more his word grows in us. And then it produces its own seed that spreads to the soil around us. And then God harvests the fruits of his spirit that matures in us. In John 15, 5, Jesus tells the disciples that he is the vine and we are the branches. And here in Mark 4, we are the good soil and the word of God is the seed that grows and matures in us. In the end, it's the fruit we produce like in John 15, 5. It's the fruit that we produce that matters. In Isaiah 55 verses 10 through 11, it says, the rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Get this. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. It's the fruit we produce through the Spirit in Christ that matters most. For those who don't produce fruit will be severed, but those who produce fruit will be pruned so that we can produce more for the harvest. We must continually cultivate the soil of our hearts to receiving and growing in Christ the Word of God. And Jesus said this requires daily surrender to Him, loving God with everything that we have, showing that same love to others. And then the word of God grows in us, producing fruit and seeding those around us. We do not often see how God is working in our lives, but many times we look back after a season and see how God molded us and used us along the way. And these times of reflection can build up trust within us to lean on God in the future, knowing these times of reflection can build up 
These times of reflection can build up trust within us to lean on God in the future, knowing that he has been faithful in the past. In the words of Douglas O'Donnell, whatever mistakes we make in reading and preaching the parables, let us not make the mistake of not making much of Jesus. He is the sower of the good seed of the gospel, the heaven-sent son, the bridegroom of his church, the king upon his glorious throne, the final judge of all people everywhere, and so much more. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this has encouraged you and challenged you, and I pray that you will have an encounter with God today, whenever or wherever you are when you hear this. And I pray that God will move in your life and you will respond to him. Thanks for listening and see you next time.